Today we'll be looking at was the media ever free from bias or partisanship? With many people feeling that the country is more divided than ever, our trust in media feels more important than ever. We'll be going over four uh, topics for today's podcast, starting with the history of media and politics. Lauren, what is media bias? When looking to define media bias, it's important to first understand what the definition of media is. Media is defined as the main means of mass communication regarded collectively, and bias is the prejudice for or against something or like a person or a group. Political media was first seen in ancient Rome when Julius Caesar put his head on the currency to make himself known all across the land. The cause of media bias is very complex and unclear. It's hard to put one definite cause behind it as there are many factors that contribute to the problem. The University of San Diego did a study that found that people's um, biases come from their own beliefs and experiences. People search out media that reflect and reinforce what they already believe to be true. Media bias also comes from sponsorships and advertisements. Often race groups and social and political institutions that sponsor the media pay to have their issues covered while others are downplayed. This can also be seen in advertisements as those things are tailored to get more views and reach as many people in the audience as possible to have the commercials played out to many people. Bias is very hard to avoid and can be seen as inevitable because it's nearly impossible for humans to be completely unbiased and it's hard to remain objective, uh, so bias is likely to last. How did media bias play a part in the early days of the American government and the Revolutionary through the early days of the American government, the media was able to put out pretty much anything that they wanted to. Thomas Paine's common sense can be seen as a very strong example of what media bias can be in favor of the Revolutionary War. His writings were heavily biased against King George. Paine's goal was to convince others that something must be done about the control that Great Britain had over the colonists. He was able to do this with dramatic quotes and strong imagery like even brutes don't devour their young, nor savages make war upon their families to make people dislike the king even more. Another example of media bias in the early years of the American government can be seen in the conflict between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists were able to block the Anti-Federalist publications, and this kept their ideas out of the newspapers as less than 16% of the newspapers at the time published Anti-Federalist <coughs> ideas. Because of this, the Federalists were able to add to their increasing power and influence in the country. How has the media changed in the United States over the years? The media has evolved greatly in the United States from the time that Thomas Paine was publishing Common Sense and the conflict between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists were happening. Another time in history when the media was biased um, came during the Civil War. The media was very outwardly political more than today. Um, most popular newspapers were run by political parties, and some towns only had a Democratic newspaper, while others only had Republican newspapers. Many people at the time were for the war, and the media made it very clear to those that weren't that they were definitely in the minority. Um, but by the late 1800s, the media began to be less biased. The newspapers were no longer affiliated with the political parties as they had been in the past. In the early 1900s, the United States saw a time of very little bias in the media. Uh, President Roosevelt put effort into regulating the media at this time, and he created the idea of equal time in which broadcasts had to give the same amount of time to all of the candidates um, and topics. 
The media also changed greatly when the country transitioned from public speeches and print to radio. Hearing the voice of candidates made them more personable and likable, and it changed a lot of the ideas of what a candidate should be and had to be to get elected. During the Vietnam War, more division and bias in the media um, was happening because people were against the war at the time. But by the late 1900s, most news outlets didn't have a strong bias and they were considered centrist. This changes a little bit today as it leans further left in the media. Liberal, the liberal shift in the media is due to the fact that the right is less involved in the major media business. And this can lead to some issues like prominent um, liberal ideas are having more coverage like climate change and things like that. Overall, the media falls more towards the center today as the ideologies of the media falls more towards the center than the senators of the United States. Um, and media now extends to social media. The information is streamlined and comes from many sources and social media often focuses on the more shallow topics and easily connect with the masses. The rise in social media makes information today really accessible for people. How did television affect candidates' images? The introduction of televised debates greatly affected the images of candidates. Television enhanced all of the same positives that we saw with the transition to radio and made people have a connection to the candidates based on their body language and their manners. This was seen in the presidential debate between Kennedy and Nixon. 90% of the people at the time um, in America had a television and 70 million people were watching the debates. The long debates were able to have a more lasting effect compared to the short commercials that were often seen on TV. Because of the impact of television, Kennedy looked more put together and came off as more personable than Nixon on television. Those who listened to the radio thought Nixon won and those who watched thought Kennedy won. That shows the power that the television has over people's views of the candidate. What was the FCC and how has that changed the media? The FCC is the Federal Communications Commission. This is a regulatory agency that oversees broadcasting and it was put in place by Kennedy. The FCC is able to regulate communications by radio, television, wire, satellite, and cable in the United States. The First Amendment prevents the Commission from directly regulating the content of programming, as the FCC can't um, issue prior restraint with television, but it can make sure that TV stations maintain public interest, convenience, and necessity. And this is enforced uh, by licensing, as stations have to be licensed in order to broadcast, and their license can be rescinded or not renewed if they don't act in the public interest. And this was very important before the media was deregulated in the 70s and 80s because stations needed affiliates to air their shows. What percentage are media formats consumed and how do you think this affects the news citizens receive? Today, 40% of people report that they use multiple sources to get their news. While television is the most popular and receives 87% of people use television, it's the first choice for 24%, and the internet and computers has grown dramatically, and now sits at 69% of people use the internet to receive their news. This has a great effect on the way that citizens receive their news, and they're more likely to lean towards the visual media. Through social media and television, people are taking images as well as words, and this would lead the news sources to take extra care to put provoking images to get attention. 
The rise of social media can make it hard to understand what's really happening and what the truth is, but it is a positive that 40% of people are taking in many different sources to get their news, as it's important to find different sources to make objective and clear decisions about the things that you're hearing. What leads to people perceiving reports as biased reports? Uh, it was found in a Gallup study that 40% of Americans are not confident in the media's ability to fully or fairly report the news. One of these reasons that people feel this way is because they see the differences in the way that information is presented between outlets like CNN or Fox News. People are able to see the clear, stark differences in ideology and the way that the facts are laid out. And this can raise some concern as they don't really match up all of the time. Hamilton once said, bias is in the eye of the beholder, and this can be seen in society today as people are more likely to point out bias when it doesn't align with their own views. And even, unbalanced, even balanced and unbiased messages can be perceived this way when an audience doesn't feel like it is hearing what it wants to be hearing. This leads to the hostile media effect where viewers believe that the media outlet is reporting in favor of liberals or conservatives and that it's inherently biased. People don't see the bias in the news that they agree with. People are unlikely to change their mind once they have an opinion. The first impression of a topic in the news is very important as to how they will see the topic and how it's presented in the future. And people like to have their ideas reinforced in the media. The audience demands this bias because it's what they want to see and they want to have their ideas reinforced. What are the three main methods used by the media? The three main methods used by the media are agenda setting, priming, and framing. Agenda setting is when the emphasis in the news reflects how important the people think it is. An example of this could be covering a terrorist attack in Europe but not in the Middle East because Americans are more likely to feel empathy and support for Europeans while they don't feel the same way for Middle Eastern news. The media gives people what they want and what will relate to them because it causes the biggest emotional reaction. This doesn't necessarily account for bias. It's more of a tool to help people understand the situation, as the agenda could be to give out information about candidates and current issues. Um, the method sets the agenda that the news is some, sharing something important for the people. Priming is the using of using previous scenarios to set a benchmark for what is currently happening. In this method, the, bias, the media doesn't really treat each story as its own. Um, one story is related to something else that's happened in the past because people like to hear about something that they already know about so that they can better grasp what's happening. Framing is the last method used by the media and it has the highest potential for bias. Framing has psychological origins. It was proved that you can give people almost identical information in different ways and it will affect their decision making. <laughs> It also has sociological implications, as it was found that people don't really understand the world around them completely because they are limited by their own personal experiences. Framing is necessary to help people understand complex issues, but it can lead to a lot of bias as it allows topics to be twisted to appeal to both ends of the spectrum. The amount of times people see something is related to framing and it can affect how they view the topic. Visual cues are really important in framing as the headlines are often the only thing that people see or pay attention to with the influx of information through social media and television. And clickbait is a rising problem uh, for framing. A big part of the framing is the omission and inclusion of some key pieces of information that would drastically change the content of a story. 
An example of this was seen in the way that Fox News ran a story about a Muslim country and used many words like terror, extremism, violence, and radical. The same story aired on other outlets but didn't include these words, and it was seen that people who saw each one of these stories had very different views of the Muslims and what was happening in the country after watching the news story. Thank you, Lauren. We'll now move on to how does social media affect politics, and we'll be hearing from Kaylin. So Kaylin, what age group is social media most used by? So social media is most used by citizens from ages 18 to 24, followed next by the 25 to 39 age group. The usage of social media every day sees a significant drop among groups older than this, and overall young, younger age is greatly associated with an increased social media use. Because of this, younger age groups will be more likely to receive political news from social media as it is a larger part of their life. This difference in usage can also affect how campaigns use social media to reach different age groups. It would be much more effective to appeal to a younger audience online than it would be to an appeal to an older group who spends less time on social media. Interestingly, this is also the group that shows some of the worst voter turnout, only beating the 79 plus age group, which is also considered a part of political participation. Because this group also receives more political information from social media, it is possible that these two effects are linked. This concentration of social media usage in younger age groups would also lead to the effects of social media being more prominent for these groups. What are the two main themes that come from research regarding social media and politics? The main themes of research about the relationship between social media and politics are political participation and how age relates to social media usage. Most researchers are interested in the implications of social media on politics, obviously, um, and age is closely linked to social media usage, so you can see a little bit how different age groups are affected by it. Um, there hasn't been much research done on how these correlations can be affected by other personal identities, such as race or education. Unlike age, these identifiers rarely impact how individuals or how much individuals use social media, um, so this focus has led to a little bit of an information gap on how and if these identities are significant to that relationship. Political participation is strongly related to these other identities, so the lack of difference in social media usage is interesting. What important factors make social media important to citizens? So social media gives citizens the ability to directly communicate to politicians and candidates in a way that hasn't been previously possible. In Mobilization, Participation, and Democracy in America, Rosenstone and Hansen look at elections and participation in history and point out the ability of candidates to speak directly to the electorate through new campaign technology. This also gives citizens access to candidates and the ability to interact with them. Um, those unable to attend live events formally lack the ability to interact in any way, um, and especially in the same way that people who were able to attend those events could. Um, now anyone could attend a virtual event and interact in practically the same way. This makes social media important to citizens by, by increasing their own ability to participate and stay involved with a lot more ease than, it has, than there has been previously. Um, it has also become increasingly important to campaigns and can affect how candidates try to reach different audiences. What, biases do, what bias does the research provide for new technologies? This this um, research can help us understand how these new technologies can be used to increase political participation of those who are active online. Communication between citizens and candidates and politicians is now an important tool for both voters and campaigns. As I mentioned, it is now possible to participate in political events with ease without ever leaving the safety of your own home. 
This ease could make political participation more appealing for those who had previously seen it as a difficult task. This ability to focus a campaign on specific groups can show how can show people how politicians and candidates view policies that are important to them and actually affect their lives. This could also increase a person's interest in politics and motivate them to participate more. Overall, these technologies have increased the connection um, between citizens and government officials, and hopefully through that political participation. What are the two concluded thoughts on social media and politics based on previous research? For the most part, the relationship um, has found two different conclusions. For one, social media, whether positively or negatively, does affect political participation and our trust in our individual's ability to change and affect the government or political efficacy. Um, the second is that social media usage is also affected by age. Um, a study done during the 2008 election found no link between political efficacy and social media. However, they also found that use of traditional internet sources was a good predictor of political participation. A study found a correlation, the study found a correlation between civic engagement and social media usage, so the consequences of community involvement could very well shape political views and participation by affecting who you're surrounding yourself with. Another area that is often overlooked and underrepresented in research is how social media is used to receive election news, and news received around elections is greatly influ influential to both the um, results of the election and the policies that come out of it, as well as voter participation. Why will political information penetrate the online social networks of those who show interest in politics? Young adults in particular tend to use social media to connect with other individuals who are like them. Because of this, political information spread on social media is limited to those who interact with others who are politically active, and these are often people who are also politically active themselves. Um, similar to traditional media, social media companies benefit when users return and spend time on their sites. This drives these companies to primarily show users posts and topics that they would be or are already interested in. Traditional media does this by attempting to broadly appeal to an audience that consumes their content, showing what is interesting and captivating to general audience. Social media differs from this because it has the ability to directly target individuals. This allows them to take the same approach in a much more individually tailored way. Social media sites can show each user exactly what they want to see and exactly what engages them. This can also make social media more appealing as it is more focused on what the users can enjoy. Young adults are also very well versed in the world of technology and know how to avoid content that they are not interested in. All of this can lead to the political information being directed, being directed to a small subset of users, mostly those who have already shown the interest in politics. What is confirmation bias and how does it affect us? So confirmation bias occurs when a person is consistently presented with information that further confirms their previous beliefs. This can be seen to a certain extent in traditional media as well, when a person seeks out information in news sites that agree with their political stance. On social media, this can be taken even further. The political information you receive could be specifically tailored to your exact views and make it rare, if not impossible, to see opposing arguments. Tools like nanocasting are used to target tiny niches with information that they will appreciate and enjoy. This can be used to direct advertisements or political campaigns to people who will be most affected by it. While there aren't any significant differences in how often different political parties use social media, there's likely a large difference in the content that they're seeing. There are many consequences of confirmation bias as it filters out most of the information you get on social media. For one, it can make it seem like everybody thinks the same way as you and can make it more opposing to see, um, or sorry, 
For one, it can make it seem like everybody thinks the same way as you and make opposing views seem more extreme. Um, and this makes it less likely for that individual to entertain any views that contrast to their own in any way. It is possible to surround yourself and your social media with a diverse set of opinions in order to make yourself more tolerant and possibly overcome this bias. However, it takes effort. It takes active efforts from the user and can be difficult when you already have a social media presence, as you need to find and engage with other people who counter your beliefs to balance the presence of the information supporting them. Thank you, Caitlin. We'll now be going on to topic, the idea of a distrustful media with Betsy. People get their cues and information from what? So what is public opinion influenced by? Sure, so most people get their cues and information from a number of sources. From a young age, people's perceptions of the world are shaped by our family, our friends, school, and other influential presences in our lives. But once we are older, there are a lot more sources of information available to us, but we don't like doing a lot of work, so people form shortcuts, always around doing lots of research and fact-checking to provide the information they feel is necessary. So once people find a source of information they feel is correct, um, they bypass other options and return to that source over and over. And these sources of information are typically political leaders or spokespeople for those leaders. For example, there's currently an entire subset of the American population who gets their political information from former President Donald Trump. In their minds, if he says it, it must be true. Others use news sources like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or even a social media page, although social media is typically a less reliable source. But most people have similar shortcuts that we utilize every day to decide if something is true or not. Was there unequal coverage with the 1996 election? No, there was not unequal coverage in the 1996 election, although many people believe that media coverage was biased. So in the 1996 presidential election, Republican candidate uh, Bob Dole claimed the press was biased against him and in favor of Democratic uh, candidate Bill Clinton. And he cited a 1992 study from the Freedom Forum and the Roper Center, which found that 89% of DC area journalists had voted for Clinton in the past election. So he argued that based on their personal beliefs, therefore the media they wrote and published would be biased against him. And many people believed him. It became a very hotly contested subject. But in 1997, Dom Kiedal analyzed 47 or 43 uh, major media sources and found that media coverage during this period was actually quite even. There were occasional articles or series of articles that were more flattering towards one candidate or the other, but in general, the press coverage of candidates was surprisingly equal. In, however, the 1992 election did have some leaning toward Clinton, which perhaps influenced perceptions of bias. But by 1996, the media coverage had returned to center. Did a belief in liberal bias rise in the past elections? Yes, a belief in liberal bias has risen in the past elections. So the article I read about perceptions of liberal bias focused on the 1988, 1999, and 1996 elections. So perceptions of liberal bias have probably only increased since these articles were written. But there are three possible causes for the increase in belief of liberal bias. The first is a simple disparity in treatment by news sources. So if this is the case, then the claims of bias would be correct. However, we have not found any evidence of unequal reporting in elections, so this theory is improbable. The second possible cause is that people perceive media content as biased against their particular political ideology. This causes them to feel as if the media is targeting them, so therefore it must be biased. 
But this doesn't explain the shift in recent years with huge amounts of people believing in biased media. It also doesn't explain the perception of a purely liberal bias in the media. The third and most likely possibility is that an increase in media coverage of bias has increased the public perception of bias. So the more that political outlets and the political elite discuss this proposed bias, the more people are made aware of it and suddenly it seems like it's a big problem. This third explanation seems the most likely based on the information that we have. Interestingly, the perceived bias is always a liberal bias and it increases each election cycle. The media coverage of media bias typically uses catchy phrases like liberal media, media or the media elite, which would enforce this cycle and media coverage of alleged bias also consistently increases each election cycle, which suggests that media coverage of the bias is the largest contributing factor to a public perception. What did Jefferson say about the media and how is it different today compared to before? Sure, so in 1807, Thomas Jefferson said, nothing can be now believed which is seen in the newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious being put into that polluted vehicle. So the media has evolved a lot since Jefferson wrote about it in 1807, um, but perhaps the largest change to media has been its disconnect from political parties. When media was first utilized in 1807, the media sources were run by political parties. And this was normal and accepted, but it meant that unsurprisingly, all news media was very partisan. If there was any non-partisan news reported, it was generally reported in a way that still supported whatever political party was in power over that uh, paper. In contrast, the news today is supposed to be above the fray of partisanship and bias. Since news sources are no longer funded by and supported by distinct political parties, but instead exist to inform the public, it should mean that they are centric and report only factual, unbiased news. Um, if Jefferson's sentiment then toward the newspaper is reflective of the partisanship that was standard back then, it would follow that since the media is supposed to be free from bias today, his scathing words no longer apply. But obviously many people believe his words do still apply because of the perceived bias we discussed earlier. Are people labeled more often conservative or liberal by the media and why? People are more often labeled conservative by the media. And there are a few theories that political scientists and commentators have come up with as to why this is the case. The first is that conservatives are identified more because they're seen as different. And this theory is based on the fact that there are more liberal journalists. So they would view being uh, conservative as being weird or different and feel the need to point it out. However, this theory is not supported by evidence and so is largely disregarded. There are three more recent explanations one is that media is unbalanced toward Republicans in general, so there's more coverage of them, and that results in more instances of labeling. But this theory is also largely unsubstantiated. Another theory is there are more conservatives in the political arena. In this case, conservative and, Demo er, and Republican are not synonymous, which also results in disproportionate labeling. And the final theory is there was an ideological shift to right, which has not been proven. So the researchers finally concluded there is not a labeling bias per se. And although conservatives may be labeled more often in media, it's purely coincidental and not dependent on their political ideology. And this belief is substantiated by the fact that liberals are also labeled. They're sometimes labeled more than conservatives. And one liberal, Senator Paul Wellstone, is labeled more than any conservative senator. When was there a large claim of conservative bias? There was a large claim of conservative bias around the 2016 election. 
So Hillary Clinton, the Democratic candidate, claimed that the media coverage surrounding the WikiLeaks and her emails cost her the election. In the 2016 election cycle, there was a lot of negative media coverage for all of the candidates, but Democrats believe that Clinton got more than her fair share of negative press, while the Republican candidates got more positive press than they and then Trump deserved. Uh, media coverage was also unbalanced since Trump was a television celebrity and already had huge amounts of media coverage prior to running for office. Um, these claims are hard to substantiate given how many variables there are in an election cycle, but the 2016 election was eye-opening for many people. It showcased the power that the media has over people's elections and showed how other countries could use that power to divide public sentiment. Thank you very much, Patsy. We'll be now moving on to Trump and the media with Diana. How many out of the top 100 circulation print newspapers endorsed former President Trump? Okay, so circulation print newspapers are daily printed newspapers from across the United States. Uh, for example, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times are just a few of the top news outlets in the country. Um, each news source is heavily involved in covering stories of political politics, political candidates, and events around surrounding elections. Uh, Donald Trump was not popular with these newspapers and received little support from all but a couple. Of the top 100 circulation print newspapers, only two endorsed him, and uh, more than 200 newspapers supported Clinton while Trump received the backing of fewer than 20. Uh, although Trump was not painted out to be fit for president, he won the 2016 presidential election, leading many journalists to believe that they had failed to communicate responsibly to their audience. Trump's victory was also a humiliation for the thousands of journalists who had spent months trying to warn the public about Donald Trump. The Santa Barbara News Press was the first to uh, endorse the president, and while being supported by less than a fifth of the top circulation newspapers, encouraging words were still hard to come by from the ones that did support him, according to one of the articles I had. Uh, even some of his support was half-hearted, to say the least. The best Fort Wayne News sentimental, it was called, I think, to come up with, with was Thank God for Mike Pence. What was one of the biggest media sources that had an altercation with President Trump? Uh, many media sources were not fond of President Trump. However, one in particular had the biggest altercation with Trump, which is CNN. The cable news network is a news-based television channel based in Atlanta. Trump was repeatedly ridiculed by CNN for Marxism status. According to my article, the enthusiasm for Trump at CNN was for ratings, basically. Uh, while CNN tried trapping Donald Trump in a negative light for more viewers, it ended up giving him more uh, publicity. Uh, Trump brought CNN's ratings into a tough TV market, and he got exposure in return. Trump uh, deemed CNN to be fake news, and that term still gets thrown around today by right-wingers um, when they even mention CNN. What is lexical bias? So there are many different types of bias. Um, in my, like, what I had to research were, I had two forms, which are informational and lexical. So when it comes to lexical and informational bias, each is labeled with the target of the bias. I guess that's what it said in my article. Uh, lexical bias is the tendency to make verbal speech errors, which result in existing words and can result from many factors. According to my article, lexical bias stems from content realization or how things are said, are said such, or how things are said, such forms of bias typically do not depend on context outside of the sentence and can be alleviated while maintaining its sem semantics. 
polarized words can be removed or replaced and clauses written in, active in an active voice can be rewritten in a passive voice. Uh, lexical bias may be used in an attempt to discredit an individual. An example would be, um, so I had like these figures in my readings and it just had um, like descriptions or like, I don't know what it's called. Just when they were talking on the news and it was in my in plain sight reading where they discussed the Mueller report. Um, it was presented in a lexical bias, like lexical bias was highlighted and yeah. That one made no sense, so I'm just going to skip that. <laughs> what is informational bias? Informational bias, in the simplest term, is the distortion of truth by a lack of accurate measurements. The Spanish category, it is categorized, oh, hold on, that's not right. Hold on. Um, an example of informational bias is misinterpretation and bias where the writer's viewpoint is disguised as actuality. Um, according to the article, the writing is in a neutral tone and appears objective, but it is actually the author's perception of the situation and uncovers their bias towards the topic. And yeah, that's what information bias is. <laughs> How did three news sources cover the Mueller report? Were some or all of them biased? Uh, so the Mueller report was known as the report on the investigation into Russian interference. Um, it was a review of an event covering the Trump administration's supposed ties with the Russian government the election in favor of the Republicans. Several news sources shown bias from both sides for the situation. However, uh, right-leaning media sources more so overlooked the accusation. For example, Fox gave Russia's meddling in the U.S. election less than half as much attention on the topic as it received on average from others, from the other six U.S. outlets. Um, um, however, other news sources like CNN and MSNBC, and I'm sure the New York Times or something, um, their coverage of the Russian involvement was pessimistic towards the president. Um, I wrote in there that it might have had some informational bias in it because there wasn't like a, a total sufficient amount, a total sufficient amount of evidence present at the time that they wrote them. But I mean, all in all, it was mostly negative bias towards the president from all, almost all news sites. How can quotations cause bias? Quotations may cause bias because only a snippet of what was said may be published. Um, according to the article, quotations are a bias strategy where media sources select opinionated quotes as a subtle proxy for their own opinions. Quotations play a huge role in media bias because it adds credibility. Almost half which is 48.7% of informational bias comes from within quotes. What does the term fake news mean and how did it originate? So the term fake news has been around um, for a while, but it became very popular during Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, the initial precedent of fake news comes from newspaper, newspaper articles, which include sources that have little to no credibility. Satrical news sites like The Onion, oh my. The Onion manipulated photography, fabricated news items, propaganda, and press releases, to name a few. Later on, fake news had expanded to include hyperpartisan news. Hyperpartisan news, according to my article, is sites like Breitbart, I'm not sure if I said that right, um, The Daily Caller, and Occupy Democrats, which provide ideologically slanted but not technically incorrect coverage. The term fake news, when used by President Trump, was very vague. Most news sites Trump claims to carry fake news had, have been rather credible 
although coverage may be skewed towards a sliver of more left-leaning audiences. Um, the term fake news has several interpretations, but originally stems from the publishing of misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is unintentionally incorrect, such as newspapers printing um, an error and subsequently issuing a correction. Disinformation, on the other hand, is intentionally incorrect, which is where fake news comes from. How often is talk about Trump from the media, and how is this unusual? So before the 2016 election, Bill Clinton had been famous, had been most famous for how biased um, the media was towards him. However, when Trump took office, the game changed uh, tremendously. Mainstream media was completely opposed to Donald Trump's presidency, and it was not a secret. My Um, it was not a secret. Trump's coverage during his first 100 days set a new standard for negativity. In no week did the coverage drop below 70% negative, and it reached 90% negative at its peak, according to my article. Although coverage of President Trump was highly negative, the media was fascinated by Trump's presidency. What's truly atypical about Trump's coverage is that it's sharply negative, despite the fact that he's the source of nearly two-thirds of the soundbites surrounding his coverage. Trump also openly fought the press, which is different from past presidents, such as Barack Obama and Richard Nixon, who would like make selective interviews or put restrictions on broadcast media. Talk about Trump from the media was so unusual because of how much the media disliked him. According to my last article, Trump was the topic of 41% of all news, sto news stories, three times the usual amount, and never had journalists fixated on a single newsmaker for as long as they have on Trump. You kind of covered this uh, with the last question. Was there anything you'd like to add on how Trump is covered by the media? Okay, so President Trump's first 100 days compared to other presidents, other presidents in some ways similar, yet in other ways drastically unique. Nixon, Clinton, and Trump are three of the most overly criticized presidents in history, according to my article. Uh, Donald Trump's ongoing feud with the media, not the first president that's felt wrong by the press, um, after, after Richard Nixon, a lot of presidents felt like they were being covered by the press um, negatively or biased. Uh, virtually every, uh, although previous presidents have experienced immense bias from the media, Trump's coverage was incredibly worse. According to my last article again, Trump was a topic of 41% of all news sources, sources, three times the amount of coverage received by previous presidents. He was also the featured speaker in nearly two thirds of his coverage. Uh, many presidents have battled with the media, but none really compared to how much Trump did. Thank you very much, Diana. So before I la ask you all the last question and take questions from the audience, is there anything you'd like to add on your topics? All right then, so we'll be starting with Lauren. Was the media ever free from bias or partisanship? I think the media has always been biased even from the beginning of the United States and the America there as there weren't very many regulations and even today we are still in the chains of biases this is the way that they need bias to be able to understand the concepts and people demand bias and I don't think that will ever be changing in the media. Thank you. Kayla, do you um, think? Sorry, I would agree. I think that there hasn't ever really been a uh, bias-free media, I think it's just changed a lot what that bias looks like and how it affects people. Um, so there's definitely different ways that that bias is recognized and used in today versus when media was first getting started as it has kind of a greater reach 
and it's also less known to be as biased as it really is, whereas previously it was kind of just a fact that the media is biased, like what you're reading is just based on partisan sides. Um, so I think it's mostly just changed the way it's been presented more than anything else. Thank you. Bethany? Yeah, I'd have to agree with what they've said so far. You know, obviously when the media was first established, it was established to push a specific agenda, and now it isn't it isn't as obviously to push an agenda, but obviously there is still some bias because all you know journalists and media producers are human. We all have biases. And so, uh, like Lauren said, people demand a bias so that they can understand it better. So I don't think that the media will ever truly be free from bias because it's the way it operates. Thank you. Diana. Um, I think without uh, bias in the media, it would kind of be boring. Like it sounds bad, but I mean, if they didn't have an opinion and it was all like neutral and like making you decide, then it, I feel like more facts wouldn't be presented like accurately and it, it wouldn't be as interesting. Um, like even in CNN, like it said that their, um, like their coverage of Trump was for ratings and like obviously it gave them ratings, but yeah, I don't think, I don't really think the media has ever been free from bias or partisanship. Thank you all of you, and now we'll take any questions we have from the audience. Lauren, uh, I think you talked about how there was a, a period in the 20th century when uh, the media strove to be unbiased. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Um, and yet you said that there's never been a time when the media is unbiased. Is that just because we're all human and we're all going to have uh, our biases creep in, or do you think even then the, the media had knew they had a bias and were just trying to hide it? Yeah, the media at that time was just trying to present the facts in a way that didn't come off as biased, but to be able to have people truly understand the topics and make educated opinions about them, they had to use the things like framing and agenda setting to be able to help them understand. So it was hard for them to ever truly be free from that bias completely without just listing out facts. So it was it was a time when we saw as little bias as our country has seen probably, but not completely without it. And do you, uh, this is a question for everybody, do you think our, our current uh, major newspapers or um, television news networks really believe that they are presenting an unbiased version of the news, or are they all aware of where they are on the political spectrum and, and uh, are, are comfortable with reporting to just that segment of the population that is seeking out what they're reporting? I think they're pretty knowledgeable. I think it, in this day and age, it's kind of hard to not be knowledgeable or be biased, especially when it's pointed out so much by especially like other news outlets and stuff. So I think it's kind of hard to like just not see that or ignore it or not even consider it. Um, and I also think kind of like what Diana said, like they do it for ratings and it would be kind of boring if it was just information put on a screen and no one wants to just watch like, like it's much more entertaining to read a story than it is to read like statistics. So obviously people are gonna put it into some kind of narrative. And if you're putting it into a narrative, it's pretty hard to do that in an unbiased way. And I think you do have to be aware of your bias to even write like an entertaining story. And I think also the consistency of the biases within different networks also shows that they're not just, it's not just happening. Like they're not just happening to be 
be biased. Like it's a pretty consistent thing within those groups, so it's probably not something that's just occurring naturally. Diana, you mentioned that um, Donald Trump's own remarks were present in two thirds of the stories that were against him. Yeah. <laughs> against him, and, and that was unusual. Usually, negative stories don't quote the person so much. Probably not. Donald Trump was just very outspoken, and he didn't really care what he said, so people could like use his words against him. And yeah, I don't know. I know a lot of stories. Don't really, when they quote people, they quote like little remarks they said, but Trump's, Trump had a lot of like outbursts and tweets and stuff that could be put into um, newspapers and stuff that would make him look very bad. I'm sure someone will eventually. I, like personally, I figured Biden would, because he's just like old and <laughs> yeah. But um, I think down the road someone definitely will. Maybe not as much as Trump, but then again, like you never know what can happen. What, what was was did I answer all that question? I think I, why why or why not? Like why do you think Trump was like so badly portrayed in the media? I mean, I think it didn't help that he hadn't been really involved in politics before, so no one really knew how he would handle certain situations. So that might be a reason that they covered him very badly, and also because he might not have understood how to act in a political manner. But I guess if someone like him is elected again, they'll, they'll probably, be, probably be covered the same way they covered him. Is it, is it connected that the three presidents who you mentioned who got the, the most negative press were also the three presidents who were either impeached or threatened with impeachment? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Okay. Do you think it's something, though, also that the media plays a part in that a lot of our recent presidents have been threatened with impeachment? I just think it's maybe just that there's more media coverage nowadays and people yeah. have more access to it. I think the details of their lives are more public information. People want to know more. I was going to say, I think the like threat of impeachment or the idea of it can spread a lot quicker with social media and stuff. And when obviously a large portion of the population is calling for something, then I think political um, leaders are going to try to react to that. So it's like everyone seeing a social media thing that, oh, we should we want to impeach this person, then I think there's going to be a higher demand for that and then more political response because of that. I think everything is recorded now and they tell you people like take sound bites and like compile those and use them on social media and other platforms and that I'm sure leads to more people having strong feelings about presidents. And there's also like the, you can directly reach out to political officials. So if you have like an issue and you're like, well, I think the president should be impeached. You can tweet that at your representative, and then he'll take the oath. And then, if enough people do it, then maybe they'll do something about it. So it's like 
that connection can also happen, right? All right, if we don't have any more questions, I guess not. Well, thank you everyone for participating in this podcast.